Hello, everybody, and welcome to ICMDA webinars. I'm Dr. Peter Saunders, your host, the Chief Executive of the International Christian Medical and Dental Association, which brings together uh, around 60,000 Christian doctors and dentists from over 80 countries around the world. And today on ICMDA webinars, we're privileged to have Dr. Ian Spillman talking to us about funding church hospitals locally, particularly in in resource poor areas and and you're in for a real treat today because this really is a best practice model that i think we can learn from uh, all around the world from ian's experience with the team at kasizi hospital in uganda so uh, it's a real privilege to to have uh, a dear friend over many years uh, ian spillman dr ian spillman back to us to speak on funding church hospitals locally and uh, we know that as Christian health workers, we're, we're challenged to show the Father's heart of compassion to a needy world, often where there's a huge gap between the high cost of holistic quality healthcare and the poverty of many of our communities. How do we bridge that gap? Well, we need, first of all, a radical trust in our great God that he'll provide all the resources for this noble task. But uh, what can we learn about how to do that? What key relationships can help us? How can community health insurance help us? How can harnessing the power of IT help us? Those are the questions we're going to look at today. So Dr. Ian Spillman and his wife, Hannah, have two adult children, Mark and Ruth, and they've worked in the, in the UK National Health Service uh, initially until 1987 when they went for six years with Tear Fund to Kasizi Hospital in Uganda, and thus began a long association and a long adventure. Ian subsequently worked as consultant pediatrician in Macclesfield in the UK, during which time he developed Streamline, which is a patient-centered electronic med medical record IT system, and served as national senior college tutor for the Royal College of Pediatrics and Child Health. Both he and Hannah went back to Kasizi, Uganda in 2012 as medical superintendent and pediatrician, and they continue to coordinate the Friends of Kasizi internationally, which supports core medical services and the largest community health insurance scheme in Uganda and possibly in the world if we're talking about the global south. Uh, Ian further developed Streamline. And recently, uh, they won first prize in the 2022 Swiss uh, RE Foundation Entrepreneurs for Resilience Award and have contributed to the development of the recently launched WHO Quality Toolkit. So uh, we had asked Ian to come and speak about funding church hospitals locally on the basis of a long experience and some really innovative ideas. So, Ian, pleasure to have you and uh, please. Uh, go ahead. Well, thank you so much, Peter, and hello, everyone. It's a privilege to be with you to share on this important topic. Um, I'm greeting you from UK, but what I'm going to talk about relates particularly to our experience in Kisisi Hospital, which is in southwest Uganda, about seven or eight hours from Kampala. So come with me on the aeroplane to Africa. We'll know when we're getting nearby because we'll start to see the wildlife. And as we get to the Kisisi area, we're about an hour from the nearest tarmac road in a rural region, and people are mostly subsistence farmers, quite a poor population. 
And here's Kisisi Hospital, which started in 1958 and is a Church of Uganda hospital with a wide range of services. And I hope you're going to see that we've developed it into something of a health system. As you've heard, I worked in the last 10 years as medical superintendent and a pediatrician, and my wife, Hannah, uh, is a midwife, but uh, in recent years also worked as the finance manager. And at this point, I do need to declare that I am not financially trained, I'm not an economist, um, but uh, I'm sharing what we've learned from our experience. We live in a world of difference with very dramatic contrasts. And the question that Peter already commented on is how do we bridge the gap between the high cost of holistic and quality healthcare and the poverty of many of our communities? I was really challenged when I first went to Kisisi when I saw a child at that time, a long time ago, the cost of the consultation that the mother had to pay was 200 shillings. I then went back to the hospital office and there was an invoice for a tire, one tire for the hospital lorry, and that was 200,000 shillings. And that contrast really struck me as I realized the difference between the local economy and imported goods. And in fact, I think if a management consultant had visited our hospital over the full period since it started in 1958, every year I think they would have concluded that this is not viable because on the one hand, we have the poor community and on the other hand, we know it's expensive to provide healthcare. But we're going to look a little bit about how can we increase income, reduce expenditure and be good stewards of what we have. We're going to look at community health insurance and how that may help. We're going to look at IT and how its power can be useful. And we're going to ask about key relationships. But we're also going to remember over all of this that we have a unique perspective as Christian hospitals. This is our foundation and what makes us distinctive. And it's really undergirds everything else, that we have a radical trust and a conviction about the words of Jesus, because our faith will give us perspective. I love the visual aid that God gives us in the book of Isaiah when he says all the nations of the world are just like a drop in a bucket. He is a mighty God, and we need to remember that when we face the challenges with our finances or anything else. Jesus challenged us in the Sermon on the Mount to seek first his kingdom and said that everything else would be added to us when we do that. So the bottom line of the Sermon on the Mount is don't worry about these things. If we get our priorities right and our vision right, God will take care of these other things. Now, the motto of Kisisi Hospital is just five words from John chapter 10 where Jesus had said, I've come that they may have life in all its fullness. And this brings together the holistic health picture, health of body, mind, spirit, and community. And that is our goal. And anything we talk about funding is trying to achieve that holistic health. Now, one aspect is that means we, we're called to care for the vulnerable. And 
our visiting economist would not like this because it wouldn't be an economic motivation. It wouldn't work financially to care for some of these very poor patients. The child with malnutrition, the uh, neonate who's born premature, the mentally ill patient in shackles. We are called to love, to love for the least and financially that will be challenging. But an act of kindness shown to the poor is an act of worship. And the motto and the legend, the uh, icon of ICMDA is the uh, towel and basin, which reminds us of the servant heart as Jesus washed the disciples' feet. And he tells us that as the father sent him, so he is sending us. So that is our model and example. So as we look at Kisisi Hospital, we find there are a large range of different ministries as well as the core clinical work, which are all aiming to bring life in all its fullness. And when we talk about funding church hospitals, we're often talking about funding many different aspects such as these. So how do we generate and sustain income? Well, in Kisisi, the user fees from our patients represent 36%, and we receive donations about 20% of our income. This includes the Kisisi Orphans Child Sponsorship Scheme. Our School of Nursing brings in 15% in its fees, and the government grants, which include the intern nurses and doctors' salaries, is 9.4%. But I want, what I want you to particularly notice is the contribution of insurance is 12.2%. So if we look at our income, we see that user fees come from general patients, but also insurance patients. And our child sponsorship program, which is particularly for orphans, um, covers the health of the children and they are getting that cover through our health insurance scheme. We also have a Good Samaritan Fund, which is there to make sure that we never have to turn any patients away, and it will help both general and insurance patients if they are struggling to pay their bills. And that fund is supported by a number of incomes, 25% of the collections from the hospital chapel, medical student elective fees, the profits from the Kisisi Falls Tourism Project, and donations all help that fund. Now, we also have some private patients, and this means that people will pay to have a room with ensuite facilities and not to be on the general ward. But we try and not to let this influence the care given because we want the care given to be high quality for all our patients and not to have a first and second class system. If we look at the patient fee income, we will see one third is coming from our insurance patients uh, and that's really important. So how can community health insurance help? Our scheme is the oldest and the largest community scheme in Uganda. The um, motto of the scheme is affordable access to quality health care. 
And the principle of the scheme is that it spreads risk across natural community groups. These might be savings groups or school parents or churches, or originally it was the burial groups in the communities. And the scheme has very low overheads because the collection of the premiums is by the group leaders and there is no health screening. It just relies on spreading risk across groups. It assumes that some of the group uh, will become ill, but many of them will st stay healthy and their premiums will help to cover the costs. Now, I think there are three very key principles to make these schemes work. There needs to be trust in the health service provider so that the communities are confident in the quality and reliability of the service so that they know if they get sick in the middle of the night that the service will be there. Secondly, they need to know that it's not for profit um, motivation. And this reminds me of how Jesus saw the crowds and he had compassion on them. And the motivation for the whole of this program is to serve. And then we need community engagement. We need people to feel a sense of ownership and motivation for the scheme to work. And if we have those three elements, then we believe that we achieve the motto of affordable access to quality healthcare. And this contributes to the World Health Organization goal of universal health coverage. If we look at the membership data since 2005, we can see a steady increase apart from a recent uh, drop due to the pandemic, but you can see it's now picking up again and we're currently just under 43,000 beneficiaries. These are in 217 community groups in six different districts and they're supported by two full-time field officers. The groups are up to 60 kilometers from Kisisi. And what I think you can see is that this has increased the footprint of the hospital. And this is a health system with the hospital at the center, but a whole um, new dimension is added by the insurance scheme. We provide the services at Kisisi and also at a clinic that we operate an hour's drive away from Kisisi in a place called Wentobo. The premiums for the program are only 3.2 to 5.2 US dollar equivalent per person per year for acute medical and dental cover. Now we don't cover chronic disease regular medication uh, because if we wanted to do that, it would increase the cost of the premiums and that would push some people off the life-saving cover that the scheme offers. Now, if we look at the income to the scheme, we see that 60% of the income is those premiums and 40% is co-payments. And these are payments that the uh, members make if they become ill and access services. For example, if a member develops pneumonia and comes to the clinic, he will pay about $1.1 co-payment, and that will cover the cost of seeing the doctor, maybe having some lab tests and a chest x-ray, and then having a course of antibiotics. And that will all be covered by his $1.1. If we look at that total income, how it's spent, we see 98% goes on patient treatment costs, 
and 5.6% on administration. That's the whole admin of salaries and fuel for the motorbikes to go out into the community and so on. And of course, you'll see straight away that's more than 100%, which meant that in that year, we did make a deficit of 3.7%, but this was not too bad considering it was the pandemic time. Now, just to explain that the hospital um, charges the insurance scheme the same prices as it charges the non-scheme uh, patients, and the hospital makes a small margin on its charges. And so even though we made a deficit on the scheme here, overall, it's still beneficial to the hospital. The usage of the scheme patients is about 16,000 clinic visits a year and 2,100 admissions. The treatment costs, um, the co-payments average out at about 40% of the actual costs, which means the insurance scheme is subsidizing 60% of the costs for the patients. Now, each of those 217 groups has a leader and they come together for an annual general meeting and sometimes extra meetings. And these are very valuable times of feedback and communication. And in fact, the leaders will sometimes come quite long journeys on rough roads in order to attend the AGM. And this was uh, the leaders then uh, elect an executive committee uh, and uh, that executive committee sits with the hospital management. And this was their last meeting on the 4th of November. The scheme was covered by the International Economist magazine in 2020, and they noted that the insured are healthier and their finances are too. So the scheme is helping the hospital in many ways. The patient fees are always paid, unlike non-scheme members who sometimes run away without paying. And as you're seeing, it increases the hospital footprint as if the members become ill, they will always come to Kisisi for treatment. The chairman of the Uganda Medical and Dental Practitioner Council, which is the equivalent of the GMC in the UK, he said, what amazes me is its simplicity, effectiveness, enthusiasm, and that it addresses the needs of the people building on existing structures run and owned by the beneficiaries with no outside funding. So I think you're seeing that the scheme helps to achieve the World Health Organization goal of avoiding catastrophic healthcare costs and providing access to quality health services. And as we can combine health promotion and education, we find a, a reduced amount of illness in the scheme members and improved health outcomes. Now we're excited about these and they include the uptake of preventative medicine interventions is higher in scheme members when compared to similar family control families in the same communities. For example, the use of insecticide treated bed nets is increased, the taking of iron supplements by pregnant mothers and water treatment in households is improved. And as a pediatrician, I'm very excited by the fall in childhood stunting that we demonstrated in research. The graph is showing the fall uh, with the 95% confident intervals, and it's more than 5.7% uh, per year 
uh, reduction compared with controlled families. And this translates into improved adult health and outcome. Now, some while ago, the WHO asked the question, can community-based health insurance contribute towards universal health coverage? And we looked at our data and we demonstrated a dramatic fall in admission rates in the scheme members. And it's actually 50% the rate of non-scheme members. So a very big difference. So the blue line are the scheme members compared with non-scheme members on the brown line. And we believe this is because the patients attend earlier in the course of their illness and they're not so sick and so less of them need admission and there's less disruption to the family and so on. And we believe this is an example of universal health coverage in action. The mother's waiting home is an important uh, function in Kisisi and it was started because of a tragedy in 2012, when two mothers had arrived already dead because of complications of childbirth. And uh, this is that was so sad, we set up the 24 bed unit and the mothers can wait safely and they're seen by a midwife every day. Now for members of the insurance scheme, this service is free. And I think this is an example of a win-win situation because this extra benefit makes the insurance scheme more attractive to the mothers and their families and visitors. It also improves the quality of care and the outcomes for the mothers and the babies. And this in turn reduces the incidence and the cost of complications that would be charged to the scheme. So the finances of the scheme benefit because uh, less of the mothers have complications because of this intervention and it effectively increases the footprint of maternity patients coming to the hospital. And of course, once the patient has waited in the um, mother's waiting home, then they go to maternity for delivery. Now, how can we use IT to support the scheme and the hospital? Well, we did develop this program called Streamline in Kisisi, and it does a whole lot of things. And this um, detail will be on a handout available after the webinar. But in summary, it's a patient-centered system, an electronic medical record that is integrated and includes all aspects of patient finance. For example, clinicians who are entering data um, at the same time are creating the right bills. For example, if a surgeon has done a cholecystectomy, he enters his clinical data, but at the same time, Streamline generates the correct bill. And this is much better than in, when in the past, people who were non-clinical were trying to interpret things and they had no idea what a cholecystectomy was. Then if, for example, I order a lab test or prescribe medicine, then the system automatically generates the correct bill. Now, the Streamline program also contains the insurance patients. All 43,000 are on the system, and it allows us to analyze clinical usage by the different groups, and then we can target health promotion. So, for example, if one of the groups has a high incidence of children with gastroenteritis, we can do health education, but also check water sources. That will lead to improved health of those community groups, but also reduce later costs to 
the community health insurance scheme. Also, Streamline gives the clinicians um, immediate uh, insight into whether things are covered or not. So the uh, medicines and the tests that are covered by the insurance scheme are green and the others are orange. Streamline also has references to uh, important guidelines and it helps to ensure correct treatment given first time, which improves outcomes and efficiencies. And as Peter said, we recently uh, were uh, one of the entrants of the Swiss Refoundation Award and amazingly won first prize. And that's going to help us to add 150,000 new beneficiaries uh, in the next two years to 15 hospitals across Uganda. And this will give us opportunities for mutual encouragement and the potential to roll out to many more communities and even other countries in the future. This picture actually came to me today. It's of a workshop that happened um, in the last two days and finished this morning. Uh, and it's part of this networking of these hospitals that has just begun on this project. So it's all very exciting. Now, another source of income is the schools. We have a primary school, but it doesn't really make profit, but it does help us to retain staff. But one encouragement we had recently was that some of the graduates from the school who are now in their careers came back to offer support. And this is um, partly by keeping in touch and having a sense of belonging. Our school of nursing is much bigger and it does generate important income for the hospital who provide a service um, helping to train these nurses and midwives. On the estate, we have a number of ways of generating income, including the rental for small shops and vehicle and venue hire. We generate hydroelectricity, um, which we send up to seven kilometers from Kisisi to help households and small industries. We grow timber and harvest that periodically, uh, which brings in some income. We now have some royalties from Streamline as it is um, spreading out to other hospitals. And we have our tourism project, uh, Kisisi Falls. This uses our natural, beautiful environment and encourages people to enjoy it. And people come as individuals and groups. And we've had many thousands of people coming and this has generated support for our Good Samaritan Fund, which helps our very poorest patients. How can relationships help us? Well, first of all, we have relationships with the government who uh, send us intern doctors and nurses for training, and they pay the salaries, which we um, then top up a little bit. They ran a results-based financing program, which has recently finished. And they provide support for primary health care. And we have responsibility for a sub-district working with the district health officer. And this leads to um, good relationships with the in-charges of all the different clinics. And this leads to referrals coming into the hospital. We have good relationships with international donors, including Kisisi Partners, which is a registered charity in the UK and also with a number of other organizations and churches, as well as individuals. Now, the hospital has changed enormously since it started, and things have moved on, 
And uh, the picture on the right is Dr. Henry, who took over from me at the end of uh, June as medical superintendent. And you can see the group of surgeons who have just started the new um, service of laparoscopic surgery as we increase our specialization. Now, the Friends of Kisisi acts as a bridge and helps people to keep in touch and encourages a sense of belonging. And this is a very healthy part of the body of Christ as um, people have a sense of mutual um, respect and love and, and fellowship. And I think the way to approach that is to tell the story, share the God-given vision and goals, and the Holy Spirit will then bring engagement, relationship, prayers, and support. I don't think we should go straight to the fundraising. I think that follows when people engage and understand the story. And we should focus on people, not projects. Here are some of our special staff. And we think that if they are motivated and they share the vision for the goals of the hospital and a servant heart, then we will get quality holistic care, which will be supported by quality training and continual professional development, which we should invest in as important because all of that improves our reputation and testimony. That in turn increases staff morale and increases staff retention. And we uh, save a lot of costs of recruitment and training by keeping good staff and, and them not going elsewhere. Our reputation also increases confidence of community and the government and donors in the hospital performance, which leads to increased footprint and economy of scale. So all these things are important to invest in because they bear fruit. Our engagement with the World Health Organization and contribution to these different quality materials has also boosted staff morale. And it's also um, part of a twinning process with the um, Countess of Chester Hospital in the UK, which was important to us. And visiting colleagues coming out can be a great source of encouragement, particularly because we're in a remote rural area and there would be a risk of feeling isolated or some of our staff feeling that they were not making progress in their career. But because we have colleagues coming in, we have good interaction which stimulates and keeps us at the cutting edge. Encouraging a sense of family and being together, um, coming together, for example, for Christmas, um, all the porters and their families and all the staff come together and have a great time. And all of that helps to encourage teamwork and a sense of belonging and identity. And I think our aim should be that we should have at least as much enthusiasm as the teams, uh, the fans supporting the teams in the World Cup. Our reputation also depends on a reliable 24 hour service. Uh, we must make sure that's in place. Here's an example of a child who had a life threatening abdominal surgical problem and went to a government regional hospital and there was no surgeon because the surgeon had gone to Kampala. So this child was put on the back of a pickup and bounced on a, on a rough road for an hour and a half to Kisisi because they knew that they would find the services in Kisisi. Here's a girl who had been to all sorts of clinics. She's like the lady in Mark's gospel who'd suffered under many doctors and spent all she had but wasn't getting better. 
And she came to the church hospital and she got better because she had quality care. This is part of our reputation and testimony and it enhances our footprint and um, our finances. And we can also use media, um, whether it's national television um, or whether it's um, the local people coming for seminars. Uh, the top picture shows a mental health seminar with police officers, teachers and community leaders. All of this helps to expand our reputation. We also want to reduce expenditure and be good stewards. And I love the verse in 2 Corinthians that says, we are taking pains to do what is right, not only in the eyes of the Lord, but also in the eyes of men. And I think that's a verse that should be up in all the finance offices. <laughs> now, also, when we select leaders, we need people of integrity. And this verse from Psalms says, David shepherded them with integrity of heart, with skillful hands, he led them. And the combination of skill, integrity, and a pastoral heart is such a blessing and will help to lead our teams. We need to have good procurement and Streamline helps us a lot with that. I haven't got time to tell you the details, but it means we can rapidly respond to changing costs and update our prices and we can spot trends. For example, we had a, an, uh, one time, um, we noted an increased cost in our insurance costs and we rapidly realized it was due to a change in antibiotic prescribing by some of our clinical officers so we could deal with it quickly. And Streamline will also help us to avoid expiry of drugs and stockouts and also reduces the chance of fraud. We tried to be sustainable. And when, for example, we wanted to improve quality of how we distribute medicines so that instead of just giving them a sachet written on with a ballpoint pen, we generated labels. The way we did the labels was to use receipts as you would get in a supermarket that are generated by heat printers and don't use any ink. And so they're very low cost. So we're looking for quality, but also looking for low cost to sustain it. We should also invest in our boards to make sure that they are trained, including anti-fraud. We should look at maintenance of our equipment and vehicles to keep them in good condition. We should look at security to avoid theft and fraud. We should plan ahead to avoid damage from fires and floods. And we should make sure we have good data backup for our IT. We can also be um, innovative. This is um, the use of um, used intravenous fluid bottles to make spaces uh, because the commercial spaces are expensive and hard to get. And we have biomedical engineers and we ran training courses for these to keep our equipment in good order. So friends, I've given you a very quick overview. I've scratched the surface, but I hope um, some of the principles will help. And what are you going to do? I suggest that we all pray for wisdom to go forward, that we map our current status. We might do a um, strengths, weaknesses, opportunities and threats assessment and look at our strategic plans and then ask whether community insurance might be an option to help us. And how can we enhance the use of our staff, IT and resources that we already have? With God's grace, we can make a world of difference. And remember to persevere and never give up. 
there's always a way if you look for it. Um, sometimes it's not the obvious way. So thank you very much for listening and back to Peter, thank you. Uh, thank you very much. Wow, uh, amazing. Uh, I, I was really blown away and uh, it even surpassed my expectations. So uh, thank you so much, Ian, for sharing from your experience and, and a long experience and investment of time uh, in, in the community over a long, long period. And I guess it's a reminder that, that developing something like what you've got at Cassisi doesn't happen overnight. It's a, it's a, a long process to, mm. to build it up, but you've really established what I think is a brilliant best practice model. Now, Ian, you've told us a lot about Cassisi and, and you've talked about how this insurance scheme is being uh, rolled out now uh, to another uh, 15 hospitals as well. Just uh, in terms of context, can you tell us a little bit about the situation elsewhere in Uganda? How are other hospitals funded and how is chronic care funded? And in particular, you, you mentioned that, that the insurance scheme covers acute care, but not chronic care. So the bigger picture in the country. Um, yeah. So. Um... Our experience is very much Kisisi based, but obviously we've networked particularly with other churches in the Uganda Protestant Medical Bureau. So similar church hospitals and a lot of the challenges and opportunities are similar, um, although obviously local contexts vary. So the health system in Uganda has the government hospitals with regional referral and national hospitals and then um, a number of district hospitals. Uh, then there are the private not-for-profit hospitals, which includes um, ch uh, church hospitals like ours. And then there are also private hospitals. So that's how healthcare is delivered. There's no um, general practice uh, system. There are no family doctors out in the communities. So um, that's where there's a lot of um, traditional healers and uh, other alternatives. And people can even just buy medicines in the marketplace and the problems with things like um, a lot of counterfeit medicines in the country. So a lot of variety in what's available. And of course, Uganda is um, a country with many different people groups, many different languages, uh, and I think um, different cult, um, situations completely. So if you went to the northeast of Uganda, it would be very different for lots of reasons from ours. Nevertheless, some of the principles I've, I've shared will be um, applicable. Uh, the other context for some of your listeners will be um, whether or not countries have a national scheme. Uh, for example, in Rwanda, which is neighbouring uh, Uganda, there is a national insurance scheme which works reasonably well. So the way we adapt um, would depend on those circumstances. We reckon there are probably something near about 2,000 church and mission hospitals throughout Africa and Asia altogether. What percentage of them do you think would be running uh, insurance schemes like like this? Do you, do you have a, an idea? Have there been any surveys on the on the bigger take up as part of the WHO's universal health coverage promotion? Um, I think there are some um, and they operate in different ways. So um, insurance may be government run. Um, and Uganda's actually looking at it. The parliament have actually said they want to have such a thing, or it may be um, like the Rwanda scheme. 
but then there may be um, commercial private insurance, which of course is completely different because it caters for at least the middle class or those with salaries. I think the difference in our system is trying to um, reach the, the, the really very poor. Um, I think we must be one of the cheapest in the world because um, we can't go any cheaper. And um, I always, when we're thinking about it, I always think about the widow with orphans up on the hillside with her distance farm. Um, will she be able to access the service through the scheme? Um, in terms of the, the data, I'm not sure. I know um, there have been models in um, India and at our recent Friends of Kisisi Day, we had um, a representative from the Lamb Hospital in Bangladesh came because she was interested in in starting, uh, looking at starting insurance there. So I think it's a, something that people are increasingly looking at. Um, I have to declare that um, <laughs> I've worked and lived in Kisisi and they didn't let me out very often. So um, I'm not so sure about the, the international um, pattern. Um, when we talk about this on this Christian Medical Fellowship Developing Health course, people um, are very interested and uh, I get the impression that it, it, it's something that could be taken up in many more places. Thank you. Ian, the community engagement is incredibly impressive. You, you talked about 43,000 people in 217 groups across yeah. six districts. And uh, all these people, they have an executive committee, they come together every year to share it. Uh, what, what was the key to, to uh, engaging the community to this level? Because at, anyone listening will see that the sheer numbers involved, given the low cost of premiums, uh, are what has made the scheme successful. So how did you engage the community? How long did it take? What methods did you use? Yeah. So... Um, in our area, there were already groups called Ngozi groups, which had been set up by communities for um, burial groups. They, they, they were trying to support um, when somebody lost a relative. The tradition in our culture is that everybody from the whole village comes to a burial. And so um, it's quite a, an expense to um, feed everybody and, and, and everybody expects to come. So people clubbed together so that um, if I lose a relative, you would um, you would contribute to help me and vice versa. And so that structure was already there. And it was a relatively natural extrapolation to say, well, why don't we go back to when you're ill rather than waiting till the burial? And um, and people understood that. And it it came from that. And basically, as I showed you in the graph, it has spread partly by word of mouth. Uh, and partly by the fact that people have demonstrated that it works because when they've tried it, they have found that the services are actually present. Um, now, you know, I'm not suggesting that it's perfect and I think there are still challenges. And this question that you asked about chronic care, we would love to give cover for chronic care. Um, the question is how might that happen? And in fact, I think this new project with the Swiss Re Foundation may give us some way forward because I think um, they have some expertise that, that may help model some of these things. But what we did not want to do was end up increasing the costs so that some of the very poor were pushed off the scheme. We wanted it to reach the very poor as much as possible. And so I always remember this widow on the hillside and we're thinking, if we put the 
the premium up? Will it stop her being able to benefit from the scheme and she loses her cover? If she loses her cover and she becomes sick, the problem is she then has to sell the final piece of land or her animals and her whole future is in jeopardy and she mm. is drawn into a very, very deep pit uh, that she can't get out of. So the, the fundamental target was always to prevent that. Um, but if we could add in care for the chronic disease, we'd love to, and that would include mental health uh, treatment, we'd love to be able to cover. But up until this point, as you heard the quote from the uh, chairman of the Uganda Medical and Dental Practitioner Council, up to this point, there's not been any external funding. I know that, for example, there's one of our sister hospitals at Bwindi um, has had a scheme for many years. It's a bit smaller than ours, but it has had um, external funding going into it, which changes the dynamic considerably. But up to this point, we haven't had that, although with the new project, um, we are expecting some income which will help us to do more. So, um, yeah, lots of different models. Thank you. So there's a question here from someone who's worked in a, a mission hospital in Kenya and, and uh, you know, identifying with the problem that you're trying to grapple, providing good quality care to people in poor communities in a sustainable way. Uh, he's, he says he admires the uh, Cassisi insurance scheme, but assumes that it was designed and implemented by ambition and expertise from outside rather than the local population. So the question is about how do you avoid the problem of imported top-down vertical initiatives not being sustainable without the continuing involvement of Western charitable forces? Now, you've already said this hasn't required any outside money, which is incredible, but it has required some outside expertise. To, so how do you, um, it, particularly in terms of people wanting to start up similar schemes, how do you avoid creating something that requires ongoing, um, you know, input of expertise okay, from you. outside? Yeah. Yeah, interesting question, because in practice, I think I think there would have been external input at the very beginning. In fact, I think DFID, um, the UK government um, development people, were involved at the very beginning in 1996. But basically, this whole thing has run ever since um, with national leadership um, from Kisisi Hospital. OK, we've had some of us as um, people from outside as part of Kisisi management, but the... Um, our main, our senior hospital administrator, who's the most experienced person, Mr. Moses Mugume, um, is one of our local um, people, and um, he he would be the expert in the project. Uh, and all of the executive are Ugandans, and uh, most of the Kisisi management are Ugandans. Um, uh, in fact, um, you know, there isn't um, up to now. There hasn't been um, external input really. Um, so I think in terms of the hospital as a whole, we could talk separately about the Cassisi partners support for the general hospital. But for the scheme itself, um, it hasn't really had a lot of outside support at all. I think it's run um, by dialogue between the executive who represent the group leaders, who represent the beneficiaries uh, and the hospital management. And the management of the hospital have always been very careful to listen carefully to uh, the feedback, any changes in the prices are always very carefully discussed uh, with the executive. Uh, and the executive know that the hospital is not trying to make 
any profit from the scheme and therefore they trust us uh, when we have said you need to change the prices they know that's true but um no i think it would be a wrong impression in the kisisi scheme it has not been run from outside it has been um locally led and organized so i, I don't think it needs to be um a challenge i think each 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 um center each hospital or anyone looking at starting it up needs to prayerfully consider their particular context. Um, we have these burial groups, which we could tap into. We're now going to be using more and more savings groups, which are natural groups. Um, and I'm sure they're available. Uh, they're in lots of places across uh, Africa. So um, I wouldn't, I would encourage people that, that it doesn't need to be um, reliant on outside at all. Thank you. So uh, lots of people involved at many levels, and uh, Angel Wang is working in Burkina Faso in uh, Francophone West Africa, is saying this, this obviously raises questions about recruitment and training. So how have you recruited and trained the volunteers and the staff who've been able to administer this scheme? What lessons have you learned? Thank you. Um, as I said at the beginning, the the overheads are minimal. It's a very simple system. Um, it, in some ways, it's quite naive um, in that it doesn't have any health screening. So basically, in terms of the administration, the collection of the premiums is done by the group leaders. Now, some of the groups will, will do that all at once at the end of the year, ready for the next year. Um, and others will have their own system of collecting every month and then pooling it. But the, the group leader is the one who brings the premiums for the whole group to Kisisi. Uh, and we're, we're, of course, we're now putting in um, opportunities to use mobile money and other, other formats. So um, the administration at the Kisisi end is that when people come, they have to be verified to make sure that um, they're genuine, because otherwise uh, people who haven't contributed to the scheme will get benefits. And uh, technology such as fingerprint recognition can help with that sort of thing as well. Uh, and then there's um, the streamline system has really made a difference to being able to track what's going on because it does a lot of the hard work of um, the money and counting and everything that, that needs to be looked at. So um, the field officers have to be trained in how the scheme works. And there is, um, I think there is a bit of a lag period in our culture because people were not used to the idea of paying up front for medical services. And when we recently expanded our scheme with the Wentobo Clinic and out towards the border to Rwanda, we did find some of the communities who had never experienced it were asking a lot of questions because the idea you pay before you see the doctor um, is alien to them. So the idea the co-payment and so on but um they once they understand it and they start to trust it because they realize it actually delivers they realize that they will not get that quality of healthcare anywhere else at that price and that's when they get motivated and they want it to work uh, and in fact they will defend it because if they find fraud they will be um, trying to root it out because they know that if there's fraud, then the scheme would lose money and then uh, they would end up having to pay higher premiums. So the community engagement can be very strong. Thank you. Yeah, no, that's, that's amazing. Now, I, I've always been astounded, Ian, by the number of income generation, income generating schemes that you've 
come up with and you've obviously tried lots of things and it, you know even now you mentioned um selling timber that's growing a hydro scheme the the Cassisi tourism project i know you've been doing fish farming and and you've you've got a primary school and nursing school and so on and but apart from the nursing school the insurance scheme seems to be the most successful in making a real material difference you know one one third of all the costs covered by it for patient care so how did you stumble upon it was it was it just trial and error trying lots of things or what 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 led you down the paths that you've taken in terms of yeah, maximizing income and and putting it in the in the things that we're really going to deliver okay there are other things like the hydroelectricity um although it doesn't bring in money it saves the hospital a lot of money so it's a really important uh, asset in fact Kisisi is located in a very rural area and it, normally hospitals are where the people are and it was put there because people realized how financially beneficial it would be if if hydro was developed so they were very visionary those first uh, people starting the hospital um we've had other things along the line like we had a grinding mill which operated at night and gr and did grinding of maize and grain um using cheap electricity at night um we don't do that anymore because others have come up in the area and it's no longer so necessary but yeah you have to be looking at at each phase um we had tourism was on the list when i first went to Kisisi in 1987 it was on the list but nobody knew how to do it and it didn't actually take off until 2016 when god opened the right door but we should keep revisiting and looking and it's been an amazing interaction which has brought thousands of people to Kisisi and uh, they've enjoyed their time but it's also benefited um the good samaritan and it's also been good for reputation and also for protecting environment so often you can um achieve a lot of different goals as well as finance um in some of these projects um yeah so looking at there are all sorts of ideas people come up with with it. people were talking about bottling water and so on we haven't done that uh, setting up a bakery we haven't done that there are lots of ideas that haven't materialized yet um you have to keep seeing what opens up for you and i think what i've tried to share are principles which i hope people can then stimulate people and they may come up with different um ways of applying them but hopefully um at the end of the day i believe that if god calls us to do these yeah. ministries he will provide in some way he will equip us uh, and that's confidence and that's why the human approach uh, the the management consultant every year would say it doesn't work and yet in spite of that we have uh, not survived but developed so um, we thank god yeah. for that we're sadly almost out of time but i just wanted to ask you i mean the, to me perhaps even the most important question is uh others looking at at this best practice model this insurance scheme and think well this is something that we'd like to try um how would you advise they go about it what resources are there is this is this written up somewhere um how 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 would they go about starting it and learning from your experience and and uh you know following in your footsteps yeah thank you um pray for a start and um, ask God and then talk with the community and see what's already there. 
Um, we have put on the handout to follow the webinar um, the leaflet, which summarizes our scheme, but happy to um, answer questions on email. Um, yeah, so I think um, it, it's something that has evolved with time. Uh, and as I say, my friend and colleague Moses Magume is our expert in this whole field. Um, but I'm sure um, if questions come in, we can we can certainly try and uh, answer them for you. Um, yeah. Thank you so much. Well, we've been listening to Dr. Ian Spillman on funding church hospitals locally, uh, but, but particularly focusing on the insurance scheme upon the Streamline IT project and community engagement, which are the three important ingredients of it. Uh, to, if you've been uh, struggling to take notes and write all this down, uh, let me reassure you, we'll be writing to you tomorrow. We'll send you a link to the video on YouTube where you can tell others about it as well. We'll also send you a copy of that uh, resource sheet that Ian mentioned and uh, website uh, details for Cassisi and other stuff that will help you to go on. So do use this material in your national groups around the world and, and spread the word and make this resource available. I think one of the most important things we do at ICMDA uh, will try to do is to give a platform to best practice models like this, where we can learn from each other's experience uh, around the world. So um, thank you so much, Ian, for your time, for your Can experience. I make a quick plug? Yeah, yeah, go, go ahead. You can. Um, we're doing it. If anyone's interested, uh, I'm talking about pediatric emergencies in resource pool settings on the CMF um, developing health course module on the 24th of January. So anyone interested in pediatric emergencies in resource poor settings, 24th of January, Christian Medical Fellowship Developing Health Course Module. Thank you. And we'll make sure um, we put that in the in the follow-up letter. And actually, Ian, we might even come back to you and get you to do a webinar on that as well. Perhaps you shouldn't have mentioned <laughs> that, but uh, in the new year. But um, so thank you so much, Ian, and, and uh, to Hannah as well, who I know uh, you, you've been a team over many, many years. So uh, once again, uh, thank you for coming. We look forward to seeing you soon. May the Lord bless you richly and uh, hope to see you soon again on ICMDA webinars. Thank you.